So Ruth chapter 3, we're going to talk about a passage of scripture in this book that is kind of the climactic moment in the story. So real quick recap, uh, the story of Ruth is about a girl named Ruth who was not an Israelite, she was a Moabite, she was a Moabite, a foreigner to the promises of God and to the covenant of Abraham. And um, this family, Elimelech, the husband, Naomi, the wife, their two boys, go to her land and sojourn there because there's a famine in Israel, and then they uh, marry off their boys to Moabite women. The husband dies, the two boys die, all that's left is these three women, and, they, and, and Naomi comes back to Israel, and one girl goes back home to Moab, and another girl named Ruth, she says, I'm going with you, I'm going to become one of your people, your people will be my people, your God, my God, and where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. And then she goes out into the field. This, this Ruth Moabite woman, she goes out into the field and she gleans as a poor person. This is Ruth chapter 2. And, and she happens to end up in Boaz's field, this, this very worthy man um, in the land of Bethlehem. And uh, he sees her and notices her and blesses her with opportunity. And then he brings her to lunch and kind of like shows the kindness of God to her and showers her with blessings. And she is just given this amazing gift from this godly man. She comes home to Naomi. Naomi is shocked, uh, floored by how much uh, Ruth has been able to glean in one day. And, and what you see here is the kindness of God expressed through Boaz to this foreign woman named Ruth. And then Ruth works in his field for seven weeks. And the story is really like a classic Hollywood script. Because every good Hollywood script has two people who should get together, but it takes time for them to get together. How many know what I'm talking about? Like, anybody a, an Office fan? Office TV show fan? My wife and I used to love this show, and it was G uh, Jim and who? Jim and Pam, yeah, and it was like that was the, the relational tension that kept you, you know, preoccupied with the show. How many remember Cheers? Remember Cheers? It was Sam and... Diane, right, or maybe Rebecca, but not so much Rebecca, right? It was always like, who is going to get together? And friends, friends, everybody, I remember this. It was Ross and Rachel. Like, is this couple going to get together? And that's the story of Ruth and Boaz. Are they going to get together? But what you have to see is that between chapters 2 and chapters 3, it's seven weeks of just doing work. It's just harvesting barley for seven straight weeks and then wheat for another few weeks. And so nothing seems to happen. But now in chapter three, we're going to turn up the level of love. And these two cats are going to start doing the romantic dance that we all love to watch. So with that in mind, stand with me and we'll read chapter three together. All right. And uh, fair warning, this, this chapter is why preachers usually do not preach through the Bible chapter by chapter. This is the one that's like, oh, as a preacher, <laughs> you're going to see in just a moment, what do I do with this? And so here's what happens. Verse 1, chapter 3, then Naomi, this is the mother-in-law, said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See his winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself. Put on your cloak. Go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. 
Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. And he will tell you what to do. Hello. And she replied, that sounds like a good idea. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and she lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after the young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know, you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet... There is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she laid his feet until morning, but arose before anyone could recognize anyone else. And he said, let it not be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. So they're going to try to like make this look as innocent as possible because it is innocent. And he said, bring the garment you were wearing, hold it out. So she held it out and he measured six bar- measures of barley and put it on her. And then she went into the city and when, when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. He ref- and then she replied, this is Naomi, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Ooh. ooh. And the story has reached its climactic moment. And yes, this is God's word. Let's pray. Father, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be pleasing in your sight, that we will see Jesus. We will hear what you want us to hear. We will receive what you want us to receive. And then by doing so, God, we will do what you want us to do. Father, in the great big quest for love, we all know that we need help and direction. And we ask you to lead us forward by grace, through faith, in Jesus' name. And everybody said a big amen. Amen. Have a seat. God bless you. The title of my message today is, A Better Way to Find Love. I want to offer you a better way to find love. What do you do with this chapter? Well, you just take it for what it is. These are two people with all this relational tension starting to heat up. She likes him. He likes her. How's it going to work? We can tell this is where the movement is going. We don't know how it's going to turn out, but the the tension is built up dramatically in chapter 3. And now we're just waiting for the fulfillment of this story to come full circle. Ruth, the foreigner, the widow, the heartbroken woman, now finding the love of a lifetime. And if there's one thing that America is absolutely enthralled with it is the idea of finding the one finding someone who will love you and you can love them this is americanism 101 is it not get a job get married have kids you know live happily ever after we've watched so many disney movies we've had this pounded into our brains we want to be with somebody and turn on the radio and you hear the quest for love do you not Almost every single song is dealing with somebody's desire for love or frustration in love or the fact that they just lost love and now they want to kill the person who left them. (laughs) This is Americanism 101. 
like in the words of the monotones from the 1950s. I wonder, wonder who. Who, ooh, 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 ooh. Who wrote the book of love? Tell me, tell me, tell me, oh, who wrote the book of love? I've got to know the answer was a summon from above. I wonder, wonder who. Ooh, 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 ooh. Who wrote the book of love? Good song. Or more recently, Mary J. Blige. How many love you some Mary J? Amen. She's good right there, right? Real love. I'm searching for a real love. Someone to set my heart free. Real love. Oh, 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 oh. I'm searching for a what? Real love. This is the quest of the human experience. How do we find love? How many have made mistakes in love, I wonder? How many of us could get up here and say, I wish I didn't? Oh, I wish I knew then. What I know now would have saved myself a whole heck of a lot of problems. I want to give you a better way to find love. And it's really in this <laughs> found, the, the, the three things I'm going to share with you are all in this very strange chapter in Ruth 3. Like some strange things happen here, yes? And we're going to talk about it. If you didn't see the strange things, I'll unpack them a little bit further for you. Number one, though, if you're taking notes, I'm going to give you the point. On your quest for real love, expect debatable advice. Now, every young person and every single person knows this right now. That as you look for someone to love or someone to love you, you will get no shortage of advice from people who found love. Yes? There's one thing married people love to do is counsel single people on how to get married. But what the married people forget is that it was a miracle that they convinced somebody to love them in the first place. You got lucky. They were partially blind when they met you, and now you think you're the relational expert. And as single people, I get it. I feel your pain, but I want to kind of like help you a little bit by telling you that all the advice that may come to you can be debatable at times. Because you'll get tons of advice on how to find real love. This is, again, the culture in which we live, about finding someone who will love us, and we can love them, and our lives will be complete, and we get uh, so hungry for advice. If we're not careful, we will take and accept debatable advice and make terrible decisions with the advice. And here in chapter 3 of Ruth, Naomi is the one who gives the advice. Now look at what she says. Let's go over it again because I don't think you saw it. It's so crazy. She says, uh, Naomi, verse 1, Naomi said, shouldn't I seek rest for you? In other, words, in other words, Ruth, you know, thanks for binge watching Stranger Things 2 with me for the last five weeks. But I'm kind of tired of you like hanging around here and looking all sorrowful and sad. And to be honest with you, Ruth, you need a man. That's basically what verse 1 is saying. Then she says in verse 2, it's not Boaz. I hear that Boaz is single. Have you ever thought about this guy? I heard that he's down at the threshing floor pub tonight. And then verse 3, she gets a little bit more direct. A little bit more direct. Wash. <laughs> How many love the Bible's bluntness sometimes? Ruth, take a bath. Seriously. You smell like wheat. And uh, wheat and sweat mixed together. That's not a good combination. And anoint yourself. I love this. She's like, take a bath, get yourself down to Ulta, get some fragrance. Come on, spray yourself, silly. Right there, go down to Forever 21, get yourself something nice, 
put it on, and then go down to the threshing floor pub. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Naomi knows something because she's been married before. She knows this. The way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Ladies, pay attention. Wives, if you've got a grumpy husband, feed him something. It's the sweet salve of grace right there. That's how God changes our hearts. I'm telling you as a man, I'm all grumpy. And my wife, she's a wonderful cook, and she makes me something, and I'm like, I love you. <laughs> and then it says this. But when he lies down, verse 4, gets really a little bit touch and go here. When he lies down, observe the place where he lies. In other words, uh, make sure, Ruth, that you know which dude is which. You don't want to do this with the wrong guy. Then go and uncover his feet <laughs> and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. All right. What to do with this text? What you're seeing here is that even the best sources of advice at times can give us debatable advice. Because even the original hearers of this text would have said, what is she telling her to do? This is very, like, sensual, suggestive. All the language of the original Hebrew is all very suggestive. It is like the romantic comedy movie where the lights are going low and they're suddenly alone and now clothes are starting to slip off and bodies are starting to breathe heavy. And it's like, whoa! And here it is right here in the Bible. Like, this is God's holy book. And I think you've got to realize that what you see here is that, that Naomi has the best of intentions, but even her advice is questionable because, listen, every parent in this room would never tell their daughter to do this. Here's what you do, honey. You go down to the bonfire. You pick the boy you like. When he's asleep in his tent, you crawl in the tent. You take off his shoes. You lie down next to him, and then you say, what do you want me to do now? <laughs> you don't do this. And here's what I want you to write down in your notes. When, on your quest for love, listen, learn to discern whatever you heard. Because you will get no shortage of advice and suggestions and tips on how to find somebody or love somebody or get married or stay married. Right? And you need discernment. Child of God, you need to not just receive things from people, you need to check it. Somebody say, check it. Check it against what? Check it against God's word. Check it against what Jesus wants for you. Check it against the, the will of the Holy Spirit. You know, the Bible says that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Check it out with him, Holy Spirit. My mom's telling me to take off some guy's shoes and lay down next to him. Is that of you? <laughs> like, like, check it. Learn to discern. Now, in our country, we have no shortage of advice on how to find love. I like all the songs. Again, all the songs about love, 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 love. And, and, and then there's advice from people. And I just wanted to write some down so that I wouldn't forget. And I just wanted to run through a couple of them. Like some people would tell you, hey, this is how you find someone. Play hard to get. You got to play hard to get. You got to play. You don't want to come out too strong. Wait three days before you call her or whatever. All this, you know, all this nonsense that we get, you know, shoved down our throats or taught to us by the culture or by movies or by television or by somebody who's been there, done that. Like, play hard to get. It just seems to me like, where does that come from? Play hard to get. In my opinion, if you play too hard to get, you might be too hard to find. You know? Uh, or this one. Marry the person that you fall in love with. 
Marry the person that you fall in love. Watch out for that phrase, please. Fall in love. I couldn't help it. I fell. In love. Like we're all a bunch of victims. Love is not, a, not, love, love is not something that you suddenly just, it's not a pit. I couldn't help it. It was there and I fell in. Love is a decision. It's a choice. It's a sacrificial thing. You don't fall down in a sacrifice. You stand up in a sacrifice and you lay yourself down in sacrifice. And here's the thing about falling in love because the culture will also teach us that you can also happen to fall out of love. Oh, I'm just, we, just, we just fell out of love. We just, we're just helpless victims to the great mystical power of love. We can't help it, Pastor. We fell out of love. No, you got selfish. You got selfish and you wanted to shack up with somebody else. That's why you did it. Now you're just blaming something so that you don't have to take personal responsibility for yourself and so you don't have to repent and receive God's forgiveness and grace and get your life right with God. Oh, this is another one. Uh, they, they have money. So what? Money comes, money goes. You don't marry for money. And then, oh, they have a nice body. Oh, Lord. This one. I mean, seriously. You know, my wife likes to say, like, love is blind, but marriage is an eye-opener. You know, because when you're dating somebody, you're not dating them. You're dating their carefully crafted representative. Yeah. Single people, write this down. Because you are not dating them. And when you get married, you will see them. Naked. And it is not what you expect. I don't care what you think. It's not what you expect. It's not what you see in film. It's not what you see in TV. It's not what you think. Real bodies are nasty. That's why we all are happy we have clothes. Amen? How many of you know? Like, thank God that God said wear something after the, after the fall. Thank God. I don't want to show this. They have a nice body. And there's a song on the radio right now. You need to cut this thing off every time you hear it, especially if you've got a kid in the car. It's by a tremendous artist. I love his music, Ed Sheeran. Love his music. But he's really written a piece of garbage with this one. It's called The Shape of You. Oh, ah, oh, ah, oh, ah, oh, ah. I'm in love with your body. What kind of nonsense is this? If you have teenage daughters, you better cut that stuff off. This is the conflict of our culture. Because on one hand, we've got people saying, why is there so much date rape? Why is there such, where is this a rape culture? Rape culture, rape, 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 rape culture. We just say it loud enough, maybe we'll convince everybody that's real. Rape culture. Why are girls uh, suicidal and depressed and always feeling terrible about themselves? And then at the same time, that same culture will tell us that a guy is supposed to be in love with your body. You see the conflict? You see the mixed message? I thought, I thought we found value in people for something beyond what we could see. And the culture can't get it right. This is what I'm trying to tell you. Learn to discern what you heard. Make sure, this is another one. Make sure you're sexually compatible. Oh, Lord. Sexually compatible is nonsense. If you're, I'll solve the sexual compatibility issue for you real fast. It's not going to be popular, not going to be politically correct, but it's true. 
If God made you a woman and God made him a man, you are sexually compatible. The parts fit. You, you will enjoy it, trust me. <laughs> yeah? We're talking real now, aren't we? Here's one that's out there all the time, all the time, please. You might want to write it down on the back of your notes. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. Oh, I hate this line. And it's broadcast in movies and television and news. I mean, everybody says it. Well, what does your heart tell you to do? Like your heart is trustworthy? Have you read what the Bible talk says about your heart? I got, I got some passages for you. Jeremiah 17, 9. Look at this. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately what? Wicked. wicked. It's, it's, it's not just wicked. It's desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Or Mark chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus says, For from within, out of a person's what? Heart. Not from the television set. Not from video games. Out of a person's heart come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. <laughs> Jesus is not a fan of the heart, is he? You need your heart changed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. He came to wash you clean inside. Uh, some people say, um... Is it okay for a Christian to marry a non-Christian? I don't think so. If you are a Christian at the time that you get married to somebody, you should never, I don't think, you should ever marry a non-Christian. I'm not telling you that marrying a Christian will guarantee your marriage will be happy and successful, but I am telling you, you up your odds substantially. And the, the reason why I don't think you should marry a non-Christian is because their heart is still in this state in Matthew, Mark 7. And Jesus says you need your heart changed. You need to make the tree good, and the fruit will then be good. What is he talking about? The heart needs to be changed, and then the fruit of the heart will be changed. And you don't want to join yourself up with somebody whose heart is still locked up in the prison of sin. And he said, well, we, we really were committed to make it work, and we're going to do whatever it takes, and it's, it's going to be fine. We'll, we'll just sacrifice for each other. No, you won't. No, you won't, because eventually you'll have little kids running around. You'll have little kids running around, and they're going to say, where did I come from? What am I supposed to do with my life? What is this what you're supposed to do? And they'll come and say, no, 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 that's not what you're supposed to do. And, and, now, and now the conflict really starts. And start thinking about something other than yourself, other than your personal happiness. You've got children coming down the line. You've got a grandchildren coming down the line. And if you want them to be happy and not confused, marry somebody who loves Jesus. Um, another one. I'm going to just go with my gut instinct here with love. Gut instinct. Another one. Your instinct stinks. Proverbs 28, 26, NLT version, says this. Those who trust in their own insight are, say the word, everybody. But anyone who walks in wisdom is safe. In other words, what you think is right is often not right. The Bible says in another passage in Proverbs, two verses in Proverbs, it says the same exact thing. It says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end is destruction. 
Do you understand what the Bible is telling us again and again and again? A lot of times when we think we do what we do because we think it's right, we're actually walking the pathway of destruction to our own demise without even realizing it. We need somebody to come along and check it. Now the Bible tells us we have two options. We have two options to check it. We have the Word of God and then we have the Holy Spirit of God. And Naomi is again, she's given advice to Ruth and it's just, it's so questionable. And, and, and she follows it because, again, she doesn't have the New Testament at her disposal. She doesn't have the Holy Spirit in her life. She's just following it because she's a human. And here's what I want you to see. That although she follows this questionable advice, and here's the grace part, everybody, God's sovereign hand of protection and providence is hovering over her. This is really good. This is really good. Because if we were all to be honest today, and we've had a good laugh at a couple of things, we've all followed some form of terrible advice when it comes to our love life or our marriage, singlehood or widowhood or divorcehood or whatever hood you hang in. <laughs> we've all followed some form of questionable advice, but if you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, if you've placed your faith in God through the sacrifice of Jesus for your sins and you've repented and you've turned to him, I got good news for you. You are now covered by the providential hand of a good and loving God who will not let life wreck you completely. This is wonderful because, and so here's the, here's the point that I want you to write down in your notes. Though the advice might be questionable, in this passage we see that God's providence is undeniable. God's going to use Naomi's terrible advice to, to work some magic here for Ruth. So verse 5, it says, I'll, all, that you do, I'll, all that you say I will do. And then verse 6, and she went down to the threshing floor and she did, just as her mother-in-law commanded, and she Watched until Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was married. She went to the end of the heap of grain. And uh, then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. And at midnight, the man was startled to turn over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. Again, now, if this was a Hollywood film, this is where it would really heat up on the screen, and you would get uncomfortable in the theater. And, uh, and you would think, okay, this is just going to follow the script of what people do. This is what people do. But listen, if you are a child of God, your life does not have to follow the script of this is what people do. All right, that was really good preaching right there and you missed it, but it's true. If you're a child of God, you don't have to do what everybody else does. You don't have to follow their game plan. You don't have to follow their course. You don't have to think that their life is the right life. Your eyes are open to the reality that you're a child of God. You've got a king of kings and lord of lords who's watching over you. Do life his way. It'll go well with you. And so here's what happens. The, the script flips. No lovemaking, no sex, no intercourse, no impurity. What is this? Verse 9, he's got a woman laying at his feet. And it's, he's partly undressed, thanks to her. Do you know what kind of a man finds this sexually stimulating? A breathing man. <laughs> and, and Boaz sees this woman at his feet and says, who are you? Now back up in your Bibles again. Because Naomi told her, you go and uncover his feet and lie down. 
verse 4, and then he will tell you what to do. And what does he tell her to do? He tells her to tell him, who are you? Do you know who you are? And she says, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over me. And so number two, if you're taking notes, I want to unpack this for you, but I want to give you the point first. Number two, if you're taking notes, better way to find love, know your redeemer. Who are you, child of God? You are those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son. And you have a redeemer watching over you. Do you understand this? Do you know this? Do you walk like it's true for you? <laughs> I just love what Ruth says. I want to unpack three things from what she says. Number one, she says, I'm Ruth, and she stops there. And why is that insignificant, Pastor? Because it's the first time Ruth's name shows up in the book of Ruth without being followed by the words, the Moabite. She's ditched her old identity. I'm no longer the Moabite. Who are the Moabites, by the way? Do you know who the Moabites are? This is a fantastic story. Genesis 19. This is the story of Lot. After the Sodom and Gomorrah fiasco, he goes out into the woods, into the cave, into the wilderness, and he's left with his two daughters, because remember, his wife turns into a pillar of salt. And his two daughters are like, what are we going to do? we got no guys around here. It's just dad and us. And they come up with this brilliant plan. Let's get him drunk, and we'll sleep with him. And we'll carry on our name through our father. And they both do on successive nights. And the first one has a child, and his name is Ammon. The second one has a child, and his name is Moab. This is Ruth's heritage. This is her identity. This is where she came from. This is what she was raised knowing about herself. And she has come to the conclusion that the God of Israel is able to take a terrible identity, a horrible heritage, a terrible ancestry, and wipe it out and give her a brand new identity in his grace and in his love. This is a powerful moment. She says, I'm no longer tied to what happened to me and who made me. I am now going to be Ruth the Israelite, your servant. The second thing she says, your, your servant, which means it's a higher word, actually, in Hebrew. It's the same word in English, so we get confused by this. But in the Hebrew, it's a different word for servant than what she had been called previously by Boaz in chapter 2. And what she's saying is, I'm no longer a slave. The word in Hebrew is ama. I have rights. I have dignity. This is, not, this is like more like an employee, but even, even better than that. We don't have an equivalent for it in the English. And what she's saying is, I'm no longer going to identify as a slave. I'm no longer going to identify as a Moabite. I've got a new identity. And then she gets a little pushy, doesn't she? Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. What's she talking about? Wings? Did Boaz have wings? No. The word is a euphemism for marry me. <laughs> it's not actually marry me. It's more like... Um, if you're looking for a bride, I want to let you know I'm available. This is, like, this is like Ruth would be inviting him out to a nice dining restaurant, and she'd be sitting across from him, and then she would open her uh, purse. She'd pull out a little velvet box, slide it across the table, and said, if you want to hand that back to me open, the answer is yes. <laughs> this is what she's doing here. And the word, the word wings 
is significant because it's actually the word also can be translated corner of a garment. And so, again, cultural euphemism for a man putting his garment over a woman saying, I will take you to be my bride. I will care for you. I will protect you. I will watch over you. I will bring you to myself, and we will become one flesh. What Ruth knew is that he could do for her what she could not do for herself. And Christian, you need to understand, you have a redeemer in heaven. You have a redeemer who broke sin's curse 2,000 years ago, so you no longer have to identify as an alcoholic. You no longer have to identify as a drug addict. You no longer have to identify as a divorcee. You no longer have to identify as an arrogant man. You no longer have to identify as a sexually immoral person. Now you can identify as someone who is the redeemed of the Lord, a child of the living God, a high priest of God, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people who belong to him. This is my identity. This is who I am because of Jesus. I have a redeemer. And then she, she says again, spread your wings. Now, again, I want to just point out to the, fa- the fact that this word wings is the same word that Boaz spoke to her in chapter 2. Can, can we back this up, back to chapter 2? Verse 12, it says that Boaz said to her, the Lord repay you. For all that you've done for Naomi, and uh, a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose, say the word everybody, wings you have come to take refuge. In other words, he's, he meets her in the field. He thinks she's wonderful because he's found out her story about how she left her family to come care for her mother-in-law. And now he says to her, oh, wow, I, I really pray, Ruth, that the Lord will reward you and bless you because you've come to take You've come to take refuge under the wings of the Lord. And here's what he said. Here's what she does now. She's like, hey, remember when you prayed that, that I would find refuge and I would come under the wings of the Lord? Well, I believe that the wing is you. This is fantastic for Ruth because what she's saying is, I know what you said and I'm calling you on it to do it. Christian, do you know what God has said about you so that you can call on him to do it? Lord, I've read what you said. I know I'm going through a hard time right now. I know my life is a mess right now, but I've read what you said. I read how you said, no weapon formed against me is going to prosper. I read what you said, that God works in all things for the good of those who love you and are called according to his purposes. I read what you said. I know I'm not where I should be, but I read what you said, that you're going to work on me until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who began a good work in me is going to bring it to completion until he comes again. I read what you said. I'm holding you to it. I know it's going to happen. You put it in writing. Like you got to put this out there for God sometimes. Sometimes you got to remind God of what he promised you. This is why you read your Bible. So you can hold him to it. You say, well, that sounds audacious. I think it honors God. I think he loves the fact that he's found somebody who can respect his words so much, just like Ruth does here with Boaz. And then she says, you are a redeemer. Let's talk about kingsmen redeemers. There's a confusing passage in, in Deuteronomy 25. And uh, I thought I'd read it, but I don't have much time. And basically what the law said was that if a man dies without a son, well, his line and his lineage was in trouble. And so what his brother would have to do, according to law, was redeem his name and have a 
child with his widowed widow, and, um, and then the son's name of that union would carry on the name of the dead man. So his name would not be lost. This is the point of kinsmen. So that his name would not be lost. It's about the... The, 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 the heart of God for his people, that he does not want you to lose your identity. Once he has made you his child, he does everything in his power to keep you as his child. To sustain you and strengthen you and make sure that your identity doesn't get lost. And, the, and so in Deuteronomy 25, this funny little ceremony goes down. If the guy, if the brother doesn't want to produce an heir for his deceased brother, then the widow gets, has the right to call him on it, bring him to the elders of the town, and he says, yes, I don't want to. And this little shaming ceremony goes down, and the Bible says in Deuteronomy 25 that she's got the right now to take off his sandal and spit in his face. And it says this, and the name of that man will be the man who was unsandaled. <laughs> the Bible is so funny sometimes. But what it's saying is that if you don't care for the identity of your brother, you lose yours. You gotta care for each other. You gotta love one another. You gotta, you gotta make sure we're in this together. Doesn't the Bible say that in the New Testament? Do not neglect this, the gathering of yourselves together, Hebrews 10:25. Do not neglect this. But do it all the more as you see the day approaching. Encourage one another daily as you see the day approaching. What are we called to do as the brothers and sisters of Christ? We're called to champion each other, pray for each other, lift each other up, encourage. So that because sometimes I need your faith, sometimes you need my faith, and you got you got you need some friends in the in the faith who will carry you through seasons where you want to give up. This is what the church is called to do. So yes, the Lord is our redeemer, but, but we have the church who is our sustainer and carries us through the hardships of our life. Kinsman redeemer. And so she calls him on and he says, yes, I'll do it. And then, and then I, I just write, want you to write this down in your notes. Um, this, is, this is the point of the redeemer of the Lord, Jesus Christ. No matter, if you have, if you have your notes out, no matter the heartache, my identity is sealed in Christ. Look at it there, 2 Corinthians 1.22. He has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised us. He has identified us as his own. And number three, if you're taking notes, the better way to find love, trust the loving kindness of God. Trust the loving kindness of God. Okay, this is a theme in the book of Ruth. Loving kindness. Everybody say loving kindness on the count of three. One, two, three. Loving kindness. kindness. The word that Boaz uses of Ruth, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter, you have made this last kindness, the word could be translated loving kindness, greater than the first kindness. What was her first kindness? That she cared for her mother-in-law. That she left her father and mother and she came and lived with Naomi. You have made this last kindness greater than this, this, your first kindness because you have not gone after young men. You have not married for looks or body or money or love. She's married. She's seeking marriage to Boaz because she knows that Boaz can restore back to Naomi what she lost. 
What a beautiful, what a sacrificial moment in Ruth's life. And here's what I want to say about what it means to trust the loving kindness of God. The word in Hebrew is chesed. H-E-S-E-D. Chesed. That's how I say it. If spit doesn't come out of your mouth when you say it, you haven't said it right. Chesed. It is one of the chief characteristics of God. It's one of the chief characteristics. Loving kindness. Chesed. It's a love that seeks no benefit in the act of loving. This is what it is. Psalm 136 talks about the chesed of God. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His chesed endures forever. Give thanks to the God of God. His chesed endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of the Lord. His chesed, his steadfast love endures forever. And chesed love, if you're taking notes, write it down, is love that sticks around even when there's no benefit to the person giving the love. This is why falling out of love is absolute rubbish. You don't fall out of love, you get selfish. Chesed, God's kind of love is when you say, I know I'm not getting anything out of this right now, but I'm going to love them anyway. And do you know why you do that, Christian? Do you know why you do that? Because you've already received it in Jesus. The Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world. Say that line with me. For God so loved the world. Can I just talk about the little word so for a second? Let's talk about that word so. That does not mean that God was so in love with the world. No. The word is a, de- a descriptive word. For God, this is how God loved the world. He gave his only son. God did not need you. God was not lonely. God was not looking for friends. He loves you because he's love. Selfless love. And if you are a Christian, you've received that love into your heart. Now, you trust the loving kindness. Here's how you do it. Here's where the rubber hits the road about trusting loving kindness to God. When you live it out. When you share it with other people. When you love sacrificially. Trusting that. Listen, listen. I don't want you to... I don't want you to miss this point. Trusting that when you love selflessly, God will actually pour back into you what you give in the first place. This is what Ruth is showing us because Ruth loves Naomi selflessly. And now Naomi has loved Ruth by working out this deal with Boaz. And now Boaz is going to love Ruth and Naomi How did it all start? How did Ruth end up being so loved? Because she loved. And here's how you love, trust the loving kindness of God. You give it away. Even when it hurts. Even when you don't get anything back in return immediately. Even when it doesn't look like it's going to fix anything. You love, you love, you love. The Bible says love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It is not boastful. It is not arrogant. It is not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And you just give the stuff away. And I guarantee you, in good season, it will come flooding back into your life. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The last thing I want you to write down in your notes is the, love, the book of Ruth shows us that things tend to improve when we receive the love of God and we live it out 
to other people, even when it costs us dearly. That's all I got for you from this strange little chapter of Ruth. But I'm telling you, it works. That's a better way to find love.